Okay, I am so excited about this, this Gospel of John. Uh, it's, uh, it is one of the most profound books. There's some real uniquities. Um, I think that's an actual word. I'm using it to mean some unique things. Uh, so there's some uniquities about John's Gospel that I'm excited about. Uh, maybe the most profound book in all of the Bible, uh, of all the 66 books. Some of history's most significant figures have had really interesting things to say about John's Gospel. Uh, Augustine, who lived in the, the fourth century, he, uh, he profoundly inf- affected the development of the church and the Western world, and by extension, the way we live today. Uh, he described John's Gospel this way. He said, it's shallow enough for a child to play in it and not drown. By that, what he meant was, you know, if, you're, if you're at the very beginning stage of your faith journey and like, the Bible's just a black hole to you, you think there might be a God, but what's with the cross and Jesus and death and resurrection? Like, all that's just nebulous. And you know, If you're just at the beginning of that journey, you will learn a lot from John's gospel. But he went on to say after that, he said, it's also deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Uh, I would have said, like, you know, for like a super carrier to float in or something like that, but in the fourth century, an elephant was probably the biggest thing you could think of. So, uh, so he said it's, all, it's shallow enough for a child to play in, but it's deep enough also for an elephant to swim in. Meaning, if you're the most mature and well-studied Christian there's ever been, and you read through the Bible every year and you never miss a daily devotion in your 365-day reading plan, you too can learn from John's gospel. It can inspire you. That's what Augustine said. It is, it is going to be inspiring for anyone, no matter where you're at, uh, in your spiritual journey. So today, what I want to try to do is um, just get a little bit of sort of background information about John and about his writing, uh, and then we're going to actually just talk about two verses uh, in John's gospel before we leave today. So, um, so I'm excited about it. Here's something to know about John's gospel. Okay, there's, there's four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Call them the Gospels because the word gospel, as some of you are aware, it means good news. Now, if you're familiar with uh, the narrative of the Bible, uh, before the Gospels, before Jesus' life, there's been a lot of bad news throughout human history up until this point. Uh, There's been some good stuff, but it's been predominantly a lot of difficulty. And so uh, we call them the Gospels because Jesus flips the script on all of that, because Jesus is our solution to what's gone wrong Uh, in humanity, namely the sinful nature. So we call them the Gospels. John's Gospel is unique from the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke we refer to as the synoptic Gospels, uh, meaning they synopsize or summarize the life of Jesus. They they really focus on uh, the humanity. What are the things that happened in his life? What are the things he said? Uh, And what you find in those three is that the majority of it is just a retelling of the same events. There's just a lot of overlap, a lot of redundancy, if you will. Um, John does something completely different. John actually just focuses in on the significance of and the implications of just a handful of Jesus' words and the events that happened in his life. He he doesn't expand greatly. Most of John's gospel actually happens in a pretty short span of Jesus' life. About half of the book, um, his account, is actually the last week of Jesus' life. So he really kind of narrows it down to the things that are important, and I think you'll see why here in just a second. But he even goes so far at the end of his, his gospel to tell us, hey, this is just a snapshot. The very last verse, John 21, 25, he says, 
these are just a few of the things that happen in Jesus' life. And he says, if I tried to record everything, I suppose that all the books in the world couldn't contain all of the events. These are just a tiny little snapshot of them. So throughout this series, uh, we're going to ask you to do a few things. I know, I know. I'm going to ask you to, to do a couple of different things. Uh, one of them won't start until next week because somewhere between Florida and here is a box that needed to be here today, but it's not going to be here until tomorrow. Uh, in that box is a whole bunch of uh, basically journals, notebooks. They're kind of trendy. They have this little recycled cardboard pen that probably won't last more than one use, but it still looks cool. Uh, but we've gotten those for everybody. My hope is that as we go along uh, throughout this journey through John's gospel, you'll chronicle some of the big ideas, some of the things that stood out to you, uh, maybe some questions or some key verses, whatever the things are that stood out to you. Now, we'll give you some of the things to write down up on the screen, but my hope is uh, that some of those will also uh, just be stirring in your heart. You'll have some unique things. Here's why I think that's important, is that I know as I reflect back on my life, uh, I haven't been a big journaler, maybe I should have been, uh, but I know that there are things that I can reflect on that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago, and I can, I can think back or look back if they're written down and say, that was where God changed my thinking about that thing. That was where God redirected trajectory for me. And I think that some of us will be able to do that with this gospel of John. So my hope is that even if you've never journaled about anything in your life, you'll, you'll take that initiative and want to do that and keep that thing with you as we go through week in and week out. So that's one thing. A second thing that we're going to ask you to do is uh, to be here on Sundays when we have the discussion. I know, that's really profound as I'm saying that to the people who are here on Sunday. Um, the reason for that is, um, I think, fairly obvious, but a conversation that I've had many times over the last 15 years is um, you know, someone who's part of the church has, for whatever reason, been gone for an extended period of time. Maybe they've been gone for the last three or four weeks or... Maybe some kind of life change happened, so they've only been around you know, once a month over the last six months. And what tends to happen is they walk in one day and realize, I'm in the middle of a conversation. I don't have any idea what's being talked about right now, and I don't even really know half the people here anymore. You know, you, just, you ever have that happen where you just walk in a situation and it's changed and you're like, how did that, how did that happen? That will happen uh, as we're going through this Gospel of John. Uh, sometimes you'll have a conversation in church. We have time constraints, and so the context happened actually two weeks ago, and you come into the middle of it, and you're like, what was that about? Uh, I really want to avoid that. So we're just kind of giving God as much opportunity as we can to speak uh, into our lives in that way. I totally understand summer's going to happen. In fact, I will probably be gone a couple Sundays this summer. I'm not saying you have to be in church every Sunday if you want to be a Christian. Uh, if you know me, you know that's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I am saying is uh, it's important for each of us to just make that something of a priority. If I'm in town, if I don't have something pressing that has to happen on Sunday morning, uh, I'm going to make participating in that conversation with my family a priority. So uh, thankfully for me, I don't really have the option. I'm going to be here either way. So, uh, so those are a couple of things. The other three, the other two uh, are, of course, you know, if you're not here, if you're on the road or whatever, you have family in town, a million reasons. Um, each of the conversations each week will be on online. And fourthly, one that I'm really excited about, I'm calling it the John Cast. I was waiting for a snicker. I thought there would be a snicker about the John cast. Uh, I was going to change the name because I was like, oh, somebody's going to think bathroom humor on that. But then I was like, hey, if we can use bathroom humor to help people know Jesus, okay. I mean, you know, it's a little out there for me, but if that's your thing, let's, let's go for it. 
here's what I'm excited about with the John cast. So episode one is done. Uh, it'll be online later this week. Um, it basically is about a three-minute long supplement to uh, the conversation from this week. So one of the things that we'll talk about this week, John uses the, the word, word. Uh, that's so clumsy, I feel strange. But, um, but in the original language, in Greek, as John would have written that to his original audience, uh, the word logos in Greek uh, is, uh, is a tough translation to word. That is the subject matter of this week's John cast. It's only three minutes long, so, you know, between, uh, you know, while you're waiting for your car to warm up, you can listen to something like that, or, uh, you know, while you're driving to work. I encourage you to be part of that. Basically, we're just going to mine for some of the intricacies that we just didn't have time to really expand on uh, during Sunday morning. So, so those are the things that I'm going to ask you to be a part of. Now, how many millennials are in the room? Maybe you're not sure, but you consider yourself a millennial. Okay, some of you should be raising your hand, and you're not. Some of you should definitely put your hands down. You're way too old to be a millennial. Uh, millennials like to ask the question, why? Uh, and I think in general, that's a good question. Uh, sometimes it just leads us down a path of asking why, 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 until we get to the point where we're like, oh, I don't even know what's what anymore. I don't even care. So, uh, but I want to give you some whys. Why you should participate. Uh, why you should make the effort to be part of uh, the conversation about John. One is that... We're going to learn about Jesus in the words of the person who was likely his best friend, or certainly one of his closest friends in life. Uh, another one is that through the lens of his close friend, we're going to gain an understanding of what it is that Jesus actually came to do in the life of his followers. So if you're a Christian, that's you. What is Jesus actually trying to accomplish in your life? Through the lens of his friend, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? What are the implications for the way I live? My successes, my failures, my good times, my bad times. Uh, if you're a young person here, um, now, you can decide. I'm not going to put a number to that. You can decide if that's you. Um, you will have a firm foundation from which to build your worldview based on the words of one of Jesus' best friends. Uh, if you're a not-so-young person, no number. That's you. Decide if that's you. Uh, learning from John may just rekindle your desire to participate in what God's doing. You know, it might just light that spark again, because the truth is, uh, from a biblical perspective, if God was done with you, he'd have taken you home already, but he's still got good things to do in your life. And at the end of it all, at the end of John's gospel, we'll know Jesus better than we currently do. And that's really our objective. So, so those are just some reasons why. If you've ever heard people talk about the idea of having the peace of God or the joy of God and thought, I wish I had some of that going on in my life. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but uh, I know I have. Listen, here's the thing. I can assure you from my own experience of having peace at times when I shouldn't have, uh, when I should have been worried, or having joy at times when I was just in the middle of a wipeout, a frustration, having peace at times when I should have been worried about what was coming in the future, I should have had anxiety, I can assure you that the peace of God and the joy of God are tangible, touchable things. Many of you around this room can testify to the same thing. One of you just did. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Uh, I can assure you that those are real things. The peace of God and the joy of God are real, and we can have them by knowing Jesus more intimately. We can learn what it means to walk with God to live with God. So here's some things to know about John. All right, the good stuff. Now we got that out of the way. I'm excited about this. 
John was one of Jesus' inner circle. Okay, even if you've never read the Bible, you've probably seen the painting of the Last Supper. Jesus had 12 disciples, and uh, so he had, he had these 12 guys that he just did life with on an ongoing basis. But within that group, there were three, three that really were his core, that he was closest to, Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter was Jesus' closest ministry understudy. Uh, really, Peter was kind of the foundation of the church. He carried on Jesus' ministry after he passed the mantle to him, if you will. Uh, but John, John was likely Jesus' closest friend, probably his best friend. If you ever had a best friend, you have a sense of what that means, um, or maybe just a close circle of friends, you understand the importance of that. John was incredibly tight with Jesus. One of several ways we see that play out is that uh, in John's gospel, he actually, he writes it in the third person, which can kind of get a little weird if you start to like refer to yourself in the third person. But John doesn't actually call himself by name. Uh, you know, sometimes you see like an NFL player like refer to themselves in, the in the third person by their own name and you're just like, what is wrong with you? Who does that? John refers to himself the few times that he does in his gospel as the disciple Jesus loved. Um, that's why in order to distinguish him from some of the other people named John in, uh, in the New Testament, he's known as, historically, John the Beloved. Uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, if you could go down in history as anything, being the disciple Jesus loved ain't bad. I guess that's a pretty good deal. If you're going to have like a plaque on your desk, that's a good one. Uh, John, John was really close relationally. Now, if I'm sort of, you know, analyzing that from a skeptical point of view, I might say, well, of course John affirms what Jesus says. They were friends. Here's the thing. If you've ever had a best friend, there's one thing that you are unequivocally sure about them. It's whether or not they were God. You know that for sure, right? <laughs> uh, you, you have a definitive answer to the question of whether or not your best friend is God. Uh, John is a person who would have been very keenly aware of whether or not Jesus was who he said he was. If, if he was fraudulent on some point uh, of his self-disclosure, John would have known. Um, my experience with my friends, Pastor Rick and I are really good friends, and he's not in the room, so... <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll play nice. Um, Pastor Rick is very familiar with my faults. Uh, your best friends, they don't, they don't ignore your faults. They're not oblivious to them. In fact... One of the people in my life who's most likely to be honest with me about my faults is Pastor Rick, because he has that position in my life. I expect him to do that. Uh, we're best friends. We're very close in that way. So, uh, so it's a really interesting perspective from John's case to, to understand Jesus that way. Second thing to know about John, uh, and this makes his view completely different from anyone else's, is that he was the last living eyewitness disciple of Jesus. He's the last one. John's gospel is dated between about 85 and 90 AD. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was born, they think, in about 4 BC, crucified in 33 AD. So we're a long ways post-cross and resurrection. I mean, we're, we're well down the road right there. John's the last one. Twelve disciples. Uh, Judas, of course, betrayed Jesus. And in the wake of that and the guilt, the shame, that he actually ended up committing suicide. The next 10 disciples were all martyred for their faith. Uh, some of them, that's documented in the Bible. Some of them we know from other historical documents uh, that aren't a part of the Bible. But if you think about it this way, it really makes sense. 
The Jews were highly opposed to Christianity uh, because of Jesus' claims. They considered it blasphemy. They took that seriously. That's why they crucified him uh, and went on a mission to stamp out Christianity after the fact. Uh, So some of them were heavily persecuted by the other Jews. But the ones who ventured out, outside of that community, of course, in the Roman Empire, the Romans were highly threatened by Jesus because Christians referred to him as their king. Well, that was a problem because to them, Caesar is God, Caesar's the only king. So they were also on a mission to stamp out Christianity. And you had these 10, these 11 guys at this point who are leading the charge. Well, the next 10 after Judas were all, after Judas were all executed for their faith in Christ. John, fortunately, he was just tortured and then died in exile. So he got off really easy. Uh, but he's the last one. He's the last living eyewitness disciple. Third thing to know about him, which is kind of connected to that, uh, but probably the most important, is that at this stage, because he's the last living eyewitness disciple of Christ, John is the highest spiritual authority on earth. All other spiritual authorities would have have bowed to John. Uh, Now, the thing to, to understand about that is that at this point, all of the other gospels have been written for some time. Uh, John has no need to sort of rehash those same details because uh, they're already in circulation. Retelling the same story is, is kind of pointless for him at this point. So what John does, knowing that all of the other disciples are gone, the other gospels are written, is that he sets out on this mission to make sure and document the most important thing for everyone who comes after him to know. John's not concerned with, with rehashing the same details. John's gospel starts actually at a very different place than all of the others. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a second, but, but John is just trying to make sure that everyone who comes after him knows the most important thing. So in John's gospel, the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, depending on your translation, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, You will never see, or at least I haven't ever seen, anyone holding a different Bible verse in the end zone of an NFL game. That's that's the only one. If you're holding a sign, it's either a defense or it's a John 3.16 sign. I've never seen another verse there. Most well-known verse in the Bible. And there's several of them, actually, as we come across them, you'll probably go, hey, I know that verse. I recognize that. I didn't know it was in John, but... uh, but I recognize that one. I've heard that one a bunch of times. John is full of like monumental verses like that. But there's one that I want us to keep in view as we go through the series. It's toward the end, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John declares his purpose for writing. This is what he says. He says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. There's some essential elements right there. Belief, which is faith. It's essential for us to come to God by faith. But John is writing so that we will believe and have life through that belief. Unlike the synoptic gospels, which kind of record the, uh, the human events of Jesus' life, John's really focusing in on the deity of Jesus, the godness of Jesus, if you will, so that by believing in him, we can experience 
the life of God. Now, if that's the outcome of John's gospel, that by believing in Christ, I'll experience the life that God has for me, sign me up for that. No wonder everyone says, if you're a new Christian, start with John. Uh, That's his goal. It's kind of cool that he actually says, listen, this is why I'm writing this down for you, so we don't have to wonder, so that you would believe and live. That's his objective. Now, full disclosure, I have no idea how long it's going to take for us to get through the Gospel of John. Um, I shouldn't say I have no idea. I have an idea that it's going to take somewhere about 23 or 24 weeks, but I doubt that that's going to be the number. We may accelerate. Uh, we may decide, okay, you know what? We need to get through this. We're not interested in John anymore. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, or we might say, wow, you know, this is really like profound stuff. We need to, we need to kind of pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, we'll feel it out as we go. Uh, but any way you slice it, it's probably going to take us at least to the end of the summer. Uh, it's going to be a pretty significant journey. What I do know about it is that we're going to learn about Jesus in the words of a person who was likely his best friend. That's an opinion I'd be interested in knowing. I'm excited about that. Jesus appointed Peter to be the head of the church, but John was his close friend. So in the time that we have left today, we're going to look into the first two verses of John's gospel. John chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, I love the sound of that page turning. Old school, I like it. Some of you got your fake Bible, whatever. Uh, Not Adam, not Adam. He's a Renaissance man. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? A couple things to notice here. First one is that John's gospel starts in a much different place than all of the others. Uh, Mark's gospel, the second of the gospels in our Bible, Mark starts with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was basically Jesus' forerunner. Um, So at the time that John the Baptist was saying, hey, uh, the Messiah is coming, he's making these public declarations about that, Jesus is like in his late 20s, almost 30 years old, just about to begin his public ministry. That's where Mark's gospel starts. Matthew and Luke start with uh, the birth of Christ or the events of surrounding the birth of Christ. So the angel and Mary and Joseph and the census and those kind of things. Matthew actually records the genealogy of Jesus. They start right there with the life of Jesus. But John begins way before that, in the beginning. That's where John's gospel begins. Now, that sounds familiar. Uh, Of course, if you were to flip to page 1, Genesis 1-1, you would find that the entire Bible starts the same way, in the beginning. That's what John... That's where John starts his account of Jesus' life, and it becomes immediately apparent, hey, uh, maybe Jesus isn't just a person with a message from God or a person sent from God. Maybe he's something much more than that. John is going to really emphasize the deity of Jesus, the godness of Jesus. So that's the first thing that we notice. Second thing that you'll notice, and it it really reads kind of strange in English because of the way we punctuate and so on and so forth, but the word, word, is capitalized. He's using it like a proper name. Uh, I don't, uh, I can't, that doesn't appear very often in scripture. I can't think of anywhere else that it does off the, off the cuff. But he's using this word, word, as a proper name in reference to Jesus. Now, how do we know specifically that he's talking about Jesus? Uh, well, if you read all the way through chapter one, he actually names Jesus by his human name, Jesus, so it becomes really obvious. But I want to call your attention to another verse in Hebrews chapter one. 
Uh, it's really kind of an interesting one. This is a letter that Paul wrote. Chapter 1, verse 1. This is how he introduces the letter. He says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Okay, so, so in the past, God spoke to people and they delivered that message. They disseminated it among the people in a variety of ways and at many times. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Okay, starts to make a little more sense now. God has spoken to us through his son, through Jesus. What does speaking consist of? Speaking consists of using words, right? Speaking. God's son is the word. So get this now, okay? At this point... John is the last living eyewitness disciple of Christ. He's, he's the highest remaining spiritual authority on earth. So any other spiritual authority, any other church leader or any, anyone else with any place of spiritual authority, they defer to John. He's, he's the highest spiritual authority on earth, and he's nowhere close to being a young man. Um, He's, he's near the end of his life. Uh, in fact, at least in their day, because life expectancy was half then what it is now. I mean, he had been on borrowed time for decades. He's like legitimately on the clock. Now, uh, I'm kind of getting to the point now where I understand you reach a certain point in life and you kind of want to like skip the pleasantries and get to the point. That's what John's doing right here. He's getting right down to business. He doesn't introduce himself. There's no greeting or salutation. He doesn't list his credentials. He just gets right down to work. He wants us to know something. He delivers a message right in the first two verses, and that message is, Jesus is God. That's his big idea. Okay, that's, that's the point of the first two verses. That's our big idea for today. So if you're wondering who is Jesus, his best friend is telling you he's God. Jesus is God, and we'll see that he's God come to earth in human flesh. That's the point that he will go on to make. Now, maybe we should just pause and kind of let the swelling go down a little bit, because uh, that's sort of a big idea to wrap your head around, that, that God would come to earth in human form. But that's, that's the point that he's making. So if you were making a note, and you know, just hypothetically, if a notebook had been delivered into your hand, that would definitely be an example of something that we would write down. Jesus is God. That's the point that John makes for us. John refers to Jesus as the Word, uh, and he uses that as a proper name. And what you realize really quickly is uh, this Jesus, he might be something more than just a human. He might be just more than just a, a really good guy or a really smart guy or a really moral guy. Think about what words do. Just, just in our own, you know, our own understanding, just think about what words do. They, they manifest an idea, right? Uh, they take whatever's swirling around in your brain and they make it touchable to everyone else. They make it useful to everyone else. They communicate information. They take whatever's in your sphere of knowledge and communicate it to my sphere of knowledge. Because uh, I can't know what you're thinking unless you tell me, right? That's what words do. Words also do something more profound than that. They reveal the speaker. Uh, you can tell a lot from someone's words. You learn about their intent. You learn about their character. Now you learn about who they are. God speaks to us through his word. Jesus is God's 
ultimate communication. Now, uh, my experience with uh, having a job is that the worst part of having a job is getting a job. Is it not? You ever been like unemployed and out searching around for a job? Uh, application, resume, whatever that might look like, networking, those kinds of things. Gosh, that's just worse than, that's worse than like the 30 years of working the job. Well, John is doing this thing right here. He's like, he, he's basically filling out a resume for Jesus, right? Name, word, date of birth, before the beginning. Qualifications, God. He's, just, he's sort of just aligning for us in two sentences who Jesus is. He's filling out this resume. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty impressive. Uh, it's not a bad resume. Uh, maybe you should try it sometime and just see if you land the job or not. Uh, here's something that just follows kind of naturally from that job description, from that, that resume, those qualifications. And we'll see this play out throughout the rest of the book. Um, something just really just sort of logically flows, and John will, will bear this out. It's the idea that the God who preexisted everything and the God who created everything from nothing has come into human humanity with the purpose of giving you a new start. Is that not mind-bending to you? God who preexisted and created everything has come into humanity to give you a new start. If you're like me, you probably need one of those on a pretty ongoing basis. But to the person who maybe right now is at a low spot, just deflated, discouraged, if you need a new start, you can have it because of Jesus. You can have it because of Jesus. You know what? You might wake up tomorrow and think, you know what? I need another new start. Guess what? You can have it because of Jesus. You might not even make it to tomorrow before you need another new start, but you can have it because of Jesus. What we're going to see in John's gospel is that God so loved the world that he stepped into it in humanity. He became subject to his own creation, and he gave his own life to ransom yours from the effects of sin and death. That is extremely good news. John wants you to know that. That's what his gospel is about, so he just leads with it. He gets right to it. Jesus is God. He's going to paint that picture. Jesus is God. Now, Here's one of the things that your best friend knows about you. It's whether or not you're God, right? John seems pretty sure at this point. So one of the things we're going to see through the scripture, uh, we see it actually from the beginning to the end, is that God tends to work specifically through his word, right? See if you can finish this sentence. Uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God works through his word, through the, in the creative order. Um, that's, that's how God accomplishes things. In fact, in all of the creative order, the only thing that has and does exercise the option of non-cooperation with God's word is you and me. We're really good at non-cooperation with God's word, but everything else acts accordingly. God works through his word. In Isaiah 55, Isaiah uh, was one of the prophets that we, uh, that we read about in Hebrews or that was referred to in Hebrews. Uh, Isaiah foretold uh, over half a millennium before the life of Christ many of the details of Jesus' life with remarkable accuracy. Uh, in fact, Isaiah, because of his prophecies about Jesus, was in many ways the reason that a lot of Jews believed Jesus was the Messiah because they, they believed Isaiah. They knew about Isaiah before, and then they saw Jesus and went, I think this is the guy. Like, this is, this is happening. Here's one of the things that God said through Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 11. God says, 
as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, right? Rain comes down, nurses the earth, then it evaporates. God said, just like that, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. All kinds of interesting stuff there. The point I want to make is that God works through his word. His word doesn't return to him empty. He works through his word. So if I can just tell you one thing, uh, really just probably as succinctly and clearly as I, as I know how, uh, that I think will be really useful to those who take it to heart and put it to work, think about it, chew on it, and consider what it means for them. It's this. If you need to see God do something new in your life, if you're in a spot where you need to see God make a change, you need to see God's hand at work, then you need God's word because God works through his word. Who is his word? Jesus. John refers to him as his word. And he says life comes in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Life comes, the life of God, the hand of God in your existence, it comes by believing in Jesus. If you need to see a change, knowing Jesus more deeply and walking him with him more intimately will change everything about you. It will reshape the way you view everything that happens in your life. If you need to see God do something amazing in your life, knowing Jesus is the answer. That's, um, that's what we'll see John say, and that's what I'm saying based on what John says throughout the book. Knowing Jesus is the answer. There was a really brilliant guy uh, named A.W. Tozer. Apparently, I can't sit on this. Uh, named A.W. Tozer, he had a, a lot of fairly well-known quotes that uh, you probably would recognize some of them. But one of them that he said was, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because doesn't that inform everything you believe about yourself, what comes into your mind when you think about God? What you believe about God informs the way you view the world. It informs the way you view your significance. He said, what comes into your mind when you think about God, that's the most important thing about you because it reshapes everything else about you. I would say, who is Jesus is the most important question that you could have an answer for. Whatever your answer is, it's the most important question that you could possibly have an answer for. The answer to that question will change everything about you. It'll change everything about your life. It'll change everything about the way you value and view others, the way you interact with them. Uh, it'll change what's a big deal to you and what's not that big a deal to you. It'll change what matters to you. The answer to the question, who is Jesus? will literally reshape the way you interact with your entire world. It'll change everything about your eternity. And I would say, don't leave here today. Certainly don't leave this lifetime without having an answer to that question. Jesus' best friend who did life with him, okay, John, his, his closest friend, or at least one of his two or three closest friends, did life with Jesus on a daily basis. He would have been fully aware of either Jesus' fraudulence or his authenticity, because your best friends know who you are. John is sure. Jesus is God come into humanity. 
and he came to give you a new start. That's pretty good news. I hope